Hey, thanks for tuning in to the Fountain Church Podcast. Our prayer is that God speaks to you in a real and powerful way. So go ahead, grab your Bible, grab a notepad and your coffee, and let's dive in. Uh, I, I want you to note a couple of things real quick, though. We're praying for you. We know that uh, we're still in the middle of this whole thing, um, and our hearts are with you. If you need anything, don't hesitate uh, to reach out. Uh, don't be surprised if you get a phone call from us. Uh, we're just calling in again, checking on everybody in our church and then some. Uh, but we love you guys, and I'm excited. I feel like God has a word for us this morning. Uh, we're in part six of the book of James, and I want to speak to you today a little bit around this idea of speak up. Everybody say, speak up. Yeah. Let me pray for you. Father, in Jesus' name, I thank you for this, for this moment, God. I thank you for your faithfulness, God. I thank you for what you're doing uh, in the earth. Despite everything that's going on, God, we thank you for your faithfulness. We thank you that you are unshakable, you are unmovable, and I thank you, God, that your church is unstoppable. And so, Father, we just ask that you'd come, Holy Spirit, speak to us through your word, in Jesus' name. And everybody said... Amen. Amen. Well, uh, we're going to actually scale back to chapter one just for a moment. I, I could not leave this verse by itself. I, I had to come back to chapter one. Uh, we've uh, wrapped up chapter two last week. But James chapter one, verse 26 says, If anyone considers himself religious and yet does not bridle his tongue, he deceives his heart and his religion is worthless. Now, this word bridle in the original language, it literally means to control. But I think so many times when we read this passage, we, we jump to a negative. We jump to, oh, I better not say this. I better be careful uh, to not say that. But, but this, this word control, it literally means to know when to speak and to know when not to speak. It's not just to control on a negative end, but also a control on a positive one. And, and so, so James says, listen, if anybody considers himself religious and does not bridle or does not control his tongue, he deceives his heart and his religion is worthless. And so we, we have all experienced moments where because words have gone unspoken, it's left us stuck and broken. I wasn't trying to rhyme, but that, that's just the reality of it. Words unspoken can leave us stuck and broken, stuck in life. They can leave us stuck spiritually. I mean, we all know how it feels to be in a conversation. And in that conversation, we feel like maybe God put something on our heart to share with somebody. So if you're a follower of Jesus, you know what I'm talking about. You just kind of sense, oh, man, I really need to share this. But, but you're a little bit nervous because you're not sure if you should share it or not. And so when you don't share it, you walk away from the conversation like, oh, I should have I said something. I didn't say it. Why didn't I say it? And then I think on the opposite end, we all have been in arguments. Anybody ever plan what you're going to say before you jump into the conversation? Man, I'm gonna, I know what I, exactly what I'm going to say. And then you get into it and you're a hot mess. You're all over the place. You're blah, 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 blah. And then after the conversation is over, all of a sudden you get this moment of clarity. And you're like, I should have said this. I should have said this. I should have said that. Frustrating. Stuck. And then I remember going back to high school. Back in the day, we used to have these things called dances. And uh, I, I don't know if they still do them today. It's, but, but back in the day, we, we, they, there was these things called dances. And I remember wanting to ask a particular girl to the dance. And I think all of us guys at one point have felt that I should have asked sooner because somebody intercepted and asked a little bit before. Maybe uh, you've been a little bit intimidated uh, to step out and to go for some things. You should have spoke, but you didn't. And it left you stuck 
and you missed out. I, I remember when Jackie and I first started dating, she, she did not, she was so shy, she would not even order from a waiter. That's how shy my wife is, or was. Um, now you see her on worship, leading worship, and it's just, that's not how she always was. And so sometimes she would be stuck. If we went out and, and we were eating steak or something like that, she likes her, she likes it bloody. And if that steak was well done, she would just sit there and suffer. Or I would have to say something because she just did not want to say anything. And so many times she wouldn't even tell me because she doesn't want to, you know, stir up a ruckus in the restaurant. And so she would just sit there stuck with a well-done steak. I used to like my steak like beef jerky. That was, I'm, I'm like good with that. I've changed my ways a little bit. But, but we all know how that feels. I think even some restaurants kind of, kind of understand this concept, like Red Robin. I used to work at Red Robin. Um, and, and I'm just telling you, when, when you ask for more fries because they give you bottomless fries, and this is no shade. Red Robin is awesome. You should order takeout from them as much as you possibly can. But, but they have this thing called bottomless fries, and it's interesting because when, when you ask for more fries as you're sitting down in the restaurant, many of us don't know what that feels like anymore, but when you do have an opportunity and you ask for them, many times they'll just give you like five fries. And it's, I think it's all part of the psychology, like, you're not going to ask me five times to refill, right? So I'm just going to give you a little bit and a little bit more, and nobody feels my pain. But it's all good, because I know that we have all been in these moments. I think probably the worst is when I realize that maybe there's something on my face or in my nose. I get home, and maybe I have that green onion on my tooth. And I was walking around confidently, boldly, all day, speaking, talking to people, and nobody had the courtesy Nobody had the courtesy to speak up and to let me know that something was wrong here. And so the wisest man on the face of the planet, his name was Solomon, and he said there's a time to tear down and a time to mend, a time to be silent, but there's also a time to speak. Now, everything that I just spoke about, that's all casual stuff. That's all casual. What about, what about critical conversations? What about critical convos? These are even... A little bit more challenging because in a critical conversation the stakes are high the chance of you disagreeing with the other person there's a pretty good chance you know the FBI and law enforcement would have what's called negotiators so if somebody was getting ready to commit suicide maybe they're on the side of the building they'd have a negotiator come in and, and try to communicate to help that person get off the ledge or maybe they have taken somebody hostage or they're robbing a bank there would be a negotiator that would try to speak in such a way that would lead that person to surrender. The stakes are high. There's a lot on the line. And so they would bring in professional communicators. Now, a lot of times, these critical conversations happen in more close relationships. Uh, it, it, they could happen in marriages quite often, uh, family, uh, kids, like your kids come home from health class and want to talk all about it. <laughs> like, whoa, this is a little much, right? It can happen on your job, it can happen with coworkers, it can happen with friends, it can happen on your ministry team. It's just where the stakes are high and you're not sure if you want to go there. Not sure if I want to if I want to talk about this. Because there may be some confrontation, there may be some disagreement. And so you know what's critical when you you start repeating things like this. You don't know them. It's too risky. Like what if what if they don't receive it well? What if it doesn't end well? What if they don't like me when it's over? What if it's bad? They'll never understand. This is probably my favorite one. They're crazy. Come on, anybody have a relationship like that where you just don't want to talk because it's a little crazy? 
And I think for some of us, we avoid critical conversations because we don't want to come across cheesy. Right? But I told Jackie, I'm like, if I stop being cheesy, you would hate it. Right? Like, cheesy is not a bad thing. Like, I'll tell her, like, oh, your, your, your eyes are like the stars in the sky. Right? And she looks at me like, you're crazy. Um, but I'm like, and you love it. Uh, so so sometimes we, we, we don't want to be cheesy. We don't want to ruffle people's feathers, right? We don't, we don't want to stir the waters. Maybe it'll just go away. Like we, we all have these, these, these feelings inside of, of wanting to avoid some of the conversations that need to be had. And then on the other side, some of us love critical conversation. We can't wait to ruffle people's feathers, <laughs> right? But, but our approach is wrong. You know, there was a time in history where 40% of the Tasmanian devil population was wiped out at one time. And the scientists and researchers were trying to figure out, man, why in the world did this happen all at once? Well, they traced it back to one Tasmanian devil with a, a, a cancerous tumor in its mouth. And because they bite each other so much, it just spread throughout the Tasmanian devil community and wiped out 40% of the population at one time. Right, and, and so some of us love it. Some of us, we love to hide behind religiosity. So we don't have critical conversations, but we know that we're supposed to, so we try to be religious about it, and we, try to, we, we, we kind of fall into this little, this little subtle sense of gossip disguised in the form of prayer. Come on, church. You know, you know hey, I really think we should pray for Tom. He's such a horrible guy. Very unpleasant to be around, super flawed. Come on, let's pray for him. Let's pray for Tom right now, right? And so there's, there's all these different elements that keep us from avoiding or engaging in critical conversations. But I think the root is fear. I think ultimately the root is fear. Like we're insecure. Uh, we don't want to be rejected. Come on, I think these are the big ones. Because what, what if they don't receive it well? What if they reject me? We don't want people thinking that we're coming out of left field. There's nothing worse than going to somebody and saying, hey, I feel like there's been a little bit of a rift between us. And they're like, what are you talking about? You're like, oh, no. <laughs> like, we, we, we're, we're afraid of, of confrontation sometimes. Sometimes we're, we're afraid to fail. Man, what if I don't do it right? Uh, some of us, were, we're afraid that our pride might be hurt a little bit. And so we, we, we play it safe and we just kind of ignore. Some of us, we're just afraid because we don't know how to actually have critical conversations. But, but the point is this, the point is that you and I cannot avoid these. Because if we avoid critical conversations, it creates more damage. They leave us stuck. But a critical conversation that's done right can change the game. And 99.9% of them that I've had go well. There is a small percentage that could go south. But not, a lot of them go well. In fact, what I've noticed is a, a critical conversation gone well will bring restoration, will bring reconciliation. You'll find that you'll have stronger relationships uh, you'll find yourself building more trust, problem solving. You'll find yourself unstuck in areas that may have gone unspoken. Uh, you'll, you'll heal broken areas and ultimately you'll experience freedom because there's nothing worse than having a relationship or not having a conversation that's so critical. You're stuck, they're stuck, it's, you know, something is not okay. And that's kind of a form of bondage. But Because you all know, like, when you have those conversations that you were so afraid of and they actually went well, or even if you just got them off of your chest, you feel that sense of, man, I'm so glad that's over. And, and so, so I, I want to encourage you because these are not only vital, but critical conversations are biblical. 
Critical conversations are key to us growing in our relationship with the Lord and our relationship with other people. And so critical conversations, they do a lot of things. But I want to give you three things today, uh, just as we look at Scripture, that I think will help us. And so James is saying, listen, you need to know how to bridle your tongue, to control it. Not just for the negative, but also you need to know when to speak. Because if so, critical conversations, critical convos can keep us from remaining stuck in our sin. There's nothing more detrimental than being stuck in sin. Deception. It'll eat at your bones. You know, being trapped in sin and the weight and the stress can affect your physical body. And there was a, a, a moment in the Old Testament, 2 Samuel, between this man, this prophet by the name of Nathan and King David. Sorry, my scripture got cut off. But 2 Samuel chapter 12, verses 1 through 3, says, The Lord sent Nathan to David. And when he came to him, he said, there were two men in a certain town. So he's telling him a story. He said, one rich and the other poor. The rich man had a very large number of sheep and cattle, but the poor man had nothing except one little ewe lamb that he had bought. He raised it and he grew up with, it grew up with him and his children. He shared his food, drank from his cup, and even slept in his arms. It was like a daughter to him. Everybody say, aw. Now a traveler came to the rich man, but the rich man refrained from ta- uh, taking one of his own sheep or cattle to prepare a meal for the traveler who had come to, to visit him. Instead, he took the ewe lamb that belonged to the poor man and prepared it for the one who had come to him. It's getting thick. So when David heard this, he burned with anger against the man and said to Nathan, as surely as the Lord lives, the man who did this must die. He must pay For that lamb four times over because he did such a thing and had no pity. Then Nathan said to David, you're the man. You are the man. See, David had been stuck in sin. Most scholars believe for about six to nine months he had committed adultery with a woman by the name of Bathsheba. She was a woman that was married to another man. One of his his key guys, uh, one of his key soldiers, he puts him on the front line, has him murdered, and then lies to cover the whole thing up and then tries to move on with his life. Can I just tell you that you just can't move on from that stuff without actually dealing with what's happening on the inside. Sometimes we like to say things like time will heal. Yeah, time is going to heal my wrist. But there's some issues of the soul and my wrist is still messed up. 41 is different than the ninth grade. But can I just tell you that, that issues of the soul, they just don't, some, some of them just don't heal with time. We, time may allow us to process and deal with them appropriately, but if we just try to move on, it just doesn't work. And imagine Nathan, imagine Nathan is that guy that God says, hey, I want you to go to the king and tell him that he's stuck in sin. That is not an exciting word from the Lord. Like, like. I don't know about you, but I, I wouldn't be really excited. The king has a lot of yes men around him, and you want me to be that guy. The one that slept with another man's wife, just killed a man, lied to cover it all up, and I got to go tell him about his sin. Not, not a fun spot. I mean, I can imagine Nathan saying, man, what am I going to do? How am I going to approach this? He is a prophet of God, so he's hearing from the Lord, so I'm sure that brings a lot of confidence. But, but how do you say it? Hey, David, <coughs> you're You're sinful. Um, <coughs> adulterer, murderer. Um, can we talk? Right? The sword will never 
The sword will never depart from your house. It's going to be brutal consequences. But just wondering if we could have a conversation. How do you talk to somebody about that? And I think it's so special because here David was stuck in sin, longing for a friend to tell him the truth. He just didn't know it. And like, like, I wonder why when we were younger, we grew up believing that we had to choose between truth and friendship. Like, why is that? Like, like you can't separate, like, like real friendship has to involve truth. Like a biblical relationships, they're established on truth. I, I like to call them grace-based accountability. Like we all need grace-based accountability in our life. People that love us, people that we know want to see God's very best in our lives, people that are going to tell us the truth. But grace-based accountability, how, how, was, that even, how was that even formed? Well, it, it's, it, it starts with trust. And how was trust formed? Trust is formed with, with intimacy. How was intimacy formed? Well, it's formed with community and relationship. And so that's why you always hear us over and over and over saying, jump in, get connected, jump into a small group, jump onto the serve team, like get involved. Not because those are end alls, but, be, but because what, what we're hoping and what we're praying and what we're believing is that those will be vehicles for you building some Christ-centered friendships that you can start to have some real authentic friendships that are, are intimate, meaning you're sharing your life together. That's producing some trust that leads to accountability so we could be honest with one another. And so, so David and Nathan had this relationship. And some of us, the, the unfortunate thing is we have to have critical conversations and we don't always get the luxury of speaking to people that we're friends with, right? Sometimes it's a coworker, sometimes it's an employee. Uh, sometimes we don't even get along with our family and we have to have a critical conversation with them. But even in that, the goal is we want to handle their heart well. We, we don't just want to come in, you know, grace-based accountability just doesn't come in and says, you idiot, what are you doing? Look what Galatians chapter 6, verse 1 says. It says, brothers and sisters, if someone is caught in a sin, you who live by the Spirit should restore that person. And do it gently. But watch yourselves, or you too may be tempted. So grace-based accountability, it's all about gentle restoration. Like, you don't want to use an axe to kill the fly on your neighbor's forehead. Are you with me? And so, so Nathan comes, and he doesn't say, you murderer, you adulterer, you horrible man. He says, Dave, let me tell you a story, man. Let's talk. And he tells a story that David could deeply identify with because David was a shepherd. He knew what it was like when the lion and the bear tried to snatch one of his father's sheep. He went after those things, snatched them up, devoured them. And he knows how it feels to lose a sheep. That's why he got so you know, ruffled up because he's like, I know this. I've been there. I'm a shepherd. Like that hurts. That's not okay. And so Nathan thought about it a little bit, I think. I, obviously, he's a prophet, so he has the Lord's wisdom. But I, but I think he, he thought deeply about his approach. I, I remember Jackie one time. Some of you guys have heard this story, but I think it proves a great point. I remember Jackie says, man, babe, isn't discipleship so important? I was like, yeah. Go into the world and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, Spirit. So big. We are on mission, girl. And she's like, man, I agree. So big. She said, you know, um, man, I, I really believe in reaching the world. And I'm so grateful for what God is doing at our church. But she said, the only thing I, I struggle with a little bit is I don't really feel like you're discipling me. 
Ooh. Right? So like instantly in that moment, you're like, But see, we have a rule in our marriage. You can't punish each other for being honest. So I got to eat that for a moment. Like, all right, let's talk about that. But, but it's so fun. It's, it's so cool because she came so gentle, but she didn't avoid the truth. And, and so, so, so our goal, we're trying to build bridges, not walls. And, and what Nathan did is he came with God's opinion, God's word, not his opinion. Are, are you tracking with me on that? I think sometimes we think it's, it's our job to be the Holy Spirit in people's lives. And, and tell them, you know, what they need to do and what they have to do and just come. And, and it kind of has a little bit more of an imposed accountability where it's a little more controlling, a little bit more judgmental, a little bit more of a dictatorship. And that's not what Nathan did. He came, he, he gave him the truth, but he gave it to him gently. He couldn't avoid the truth. So it wasn't like, let me just talk about everything but the truth. No, he actually had to get to the point where he said, you're that guy, man. You're that guy. But David, David had, had, had received this word from Nathan. It, it just bore witness. He repented. He was forgiven. Nathan said, there's going to be consequences, David. The sword's never going to depart from your house. There's going to be consequences to your action, but God has forgiven you. And can I just tell you, in that moment, a newfound freedom came to David. It says that when David was in sin, when he was trying to move on with his life, stuck in sin, that his bones would hurt. But the truth of a friend set him free. Gosh, we need grace-based accountability in our lives. It'll help us from being stuck in our sin. The second thing is this. Critical conversations can keep us from remaining stuck in relationships. I think so many relationships today are stuck. And and, and this is the thing that frustrates me is they could be free. But they're stuck in offense. They're stuck in disappointment. They're stuck in unmet expectations. They're stuck in gossip. A lot of times gossip... People don't gossip many times just to be wicked. It's just they're looking for somebody to validate their side. And, and so they're, they're, they're looking for security. And, and so when we're not having these critical conversations, many times we have to go somewhere to process, to talk through things. We always like to say around here, if you've got to process, process up. Process up to our team. And, and don't process down because you're going to be in trouble. If, if you're struggling with somebody, if you talk to our, our, our pastoral team, listen, you know it's a safe place, and we know there's two sides of the story, and, and we can help you with that. But don't process down because yeah. it can get really bad there. Are you with me? So a lot of relationships, are, they're stuck. So, some are stuck in apathy and complacency. They're not growing because they're never conversating about what matters. And can I just tell you, ladies and gentlemen, if you're taking notes, you might want to take a picture of this. When relationships get stuck, they get sick. They get sick. It's, it's like the little, the little uh, on the edge of a lake, the perimeter of a lake. The lake in the middle all oh, looks so beautiful, but you get to the edge of that stagnant water, it's gross. And so, so relationships get stuck, they get sick. I mean, you know how it feels to walk past somebody and it's in the air. You just got like sucked into a warp zone of awkward. And you don't even know what to say. It's like, hey, hey. You good? I'm good. Okay. And, and when you don't talk it, listen, when you don't talk it out, you eventually act it out. And so, so it's, it's just this, this process of communicating. 
God says this is so important because, listen, what you start to act out is distance. When critical conversations are not had in relationship, you start to distance yourself. You start to gossip. You start to rely on assumption. Your imagination goes to negative things. Can I just tell you the devil lives in the realm of assumption? He'd love to get you assuming. And notice how a lot of times we always assume negative. We always assume the worst. The enemy loves that space. And then what happens? The relationship breaks. People get hurt. Friendships get divided. People get divorced. Or, or we start to just live and function in a dysfunctional state all because there's no communication. And what happens? We end up stuck. And that's why God says, listen, I have a process in relationships. And you'll hear us say this all the time, Matthew chapter 18. He says, if your brother or sister sins, go and point out their fault just between the two of you. Like privately. This is what God says. And he says, listen, but if they will not listen, take two or three others along so that every matter may be established by the testimony of two or three witnesses because maybe you're wrong. If they still refuse to listen, tell the church. And if they refuse to listen even to the church, then treat them as a tax collector or a pagan. Can I just tell you what's really interesting? Is a lot of times we just take this last portion of like, kick them out, they're hard, but just... But how did Jesus treat tax collectors and pagans? He extended some extra grace. Always grace and truth. And yeah, maybe they're not going to get it now. But Matthew was a tax collector. And Jesus pursued him. A lot of pagan people Jesus was reaching out to. He had a really tough time with the religious people. He probably gave them the, the biggest... Uh, the biggest, you know, run for their money. But, but the whole part is this, is that normally this first portion, just when it's privately between the two, nine times out of ten, you can rectify it there. Because sometimes people don't even know they've offended you or they've done something wrong. And a critical conversation allows them, allows them to, to explain, allows them to repent. And I just got to tell you, I, I've come to appreciate and I'm very comfortable in critical conversations. And if anybody has been in our church for any amount of time or you're in a leadership position, you probably know that at some level. Because I've, I've, seen, the, I've seen what happens. I've seen the impact. I've seen the power and the strengthening of relationships. I've seen when people are honest and they sit down and have a conversation that may not be easy. All of a sudden, the relationship starts to become more important than the problem. And there's, there's life that happens on the other side of that. And like I said, restoration happens. The trust is built. Uh, 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 there's, a, there's a strengthening that takes place. Can I just tell you, relationships are always more important than issues. And let me just say this for the record. Forgiveness is always our move. I think, I think so many relationships are stuck because they're waiting for the other person to make a move. But, but look, look at this interesting passage found in Matthew. I love it how Matthew was talking about tax collectors and he's talking about himself. Interesting thought. Therefore, if you are, therefore, if you are offering your gift at the altar and remember that your brother or sister has something against you. So let me, let me just stop here. Like your brother or sister has something against you. What do we normally do in that space? It ain't my problem. You got the problem. Right? I'm not going to you. you have, I'm good. I'm fine with you. You got the issue. It's not my issue. Look what, look what the Lord says. Why don't you leave your gift there in front of the altar and first go be reconciled to them? But Lord, that's not my issue. 
The Lord's like, man, at least go and try. They may not respond, but at least you've done everything that you can to mend the relationship. This is so huge. This is so huge. He says, then you come and offer your gift. This is so huge because it's an opportunity for you to go and say, listen, we may disagree, but I care about what you care about. Like, I talk to people all the time and we disagree on stuff, but I still care about what they care about because it matters to them. And I want them to know I care about what they care about, and I want them to know that I care about them. And if we could just get this, if we could be the first one to make the move, I promise you it will radically transform our relationships, our marriages, the church. The problem is this. It takes vulnerability. And none of us like being vulnerable. Like, because the chances people are going to hurt you, they're going to reject you, and many of them will. You may even try to go make it right, and they don't want to make it right. And God says, that's fine. That's on them. But you were faithful to do what I've called you. You've done your best to live at peace with everybody. You've done your part. And Jesus stresses this so much because I want you to see this. He says, I'm praying, I'm praying not only for these disciples, but also for us. For all who will ever believe in me through their message, I pray that they will all be one, just as you and I are one, as you are in me, Father, and I am in you, and they believe in us so that the world, and, and may they be in us so that the world will believe you sent me. See, the world, uh, the, uh, the scripture is very clear that, that the world will know us by our love for one another. But the world will know the Lord by our oneness with one another. And so Jesus stresses unity. Listen, we got listen, we have to be a church, not like the Tasmanian devils with cancer in their mouth. We gotta be a church of encouragement that's building others up. That that that's that's assuming the best. That's not tearing people down. I remember when we first came to Fountain Church, I mean it was scary because we were stepping into a place where it was brand new. And uh, this little area where the sound booth is now used to be the, the nursery. And I, I remember getting a note underneath the door. We opened it up, and there was a little note that just said, Pastor Matt and Jackie, you guys are doing an incredible job. And can I just tell you that one little note just, just kind of changed the week. Because sometimes, you know, you're wondering, oh, we're in a new church. We don't, we don't know everybody really well. And, you know, we're trying to, we're trying to do what God has called us to do, but... Man, just that one little note. Sometimes it doesn't take much. But when's the last time you just wrote a note to somebody? When's the last time some encouraging words, even in this season? I know it's so easy to talk about everything that's going on. And there's a lot of crazy stuff. And we can't avoid truth and reality. But when's the last time you just bless somebody with your mouth and just encourage them? I'm telling you, critical conversations will help us from, from being stuck, remaining stuck in our relationships. And the last one is this, is that critical convos can keep us from remaining stuck in the desert. I want to take you to Numbers chapter 20. It says, The Lord said to Moses, Take the staff and your brother Aaron and gather the assembly together. Speak to that rock before their eyes, and it will pour out its water. You will bring out water from the rock for the community so they and their livestock can drink. So Moses took the staff from the Lord's presence, just as he commanded him. He and Aaron gathered the assembly together in front of the rock, and Moses said to them, Listen, you rebels, must we bring water out 
from this rock. So get, get this picture. The people are parched. They're about 38 years into this journey in the desert. They're grumbling against Moses. They're thirsty. Earlier in the chapter, they're, they're saying things like, why did you bring us out here into the desert to die? You should have left us in Egypt, that whole thing. And God says, listen, I want you to take your staff, Moses, and I want you to bring them in because I want to once again reveal my glory. I want them to get a piece of my glory, but Moses decided to give them a piece of his mind. God never asked him to speak to the people. God says, Moses, you're to speak to the rock. You're to speak to the rock. And then water would flow, but he didn't bridle his tongue. This is in a negative sense. He had to give them a piece of his mind. Have you ever been there? Or it's like, I'm going to kind of obey, but I'm going to throw in a little dagger at the end. I'm going to be godly about 95 percentile. Come on, gather in. The Lord is here. Cat, cat. You rebellious people. And it says, it says, what did Moses do after that? Then Moses raised his arm and he struck the rock. God said to speak to it. Struck the rock twice with the staff and water gushed out and the community and their livestock drank. But the Lord said to Moses and Aaron, because you did not trust in me enough. You didn't trust my process, Moses. You didn't trust my way to honor me as holy in the sight of the Israelites, you will not bring this community into the land I've given them. In other words, Moses, you're going to be stuck in the desert. You know, just because water flows doesn't mean that God is pleased. Like, God is so gracious on the people, even in, in spite of all their grumbling and, and Moses' rebellion by striking the rock rather than speaking to it. Water still flowed, but God, God wasn't pleased. Can I just tell you that just because things are okay in life, doesn't mean that God is okay. He says, you didn't trust me, Moses. You didn't, you, didn't, you didn't trust my process. What Moses did at that moment was he said, God, your process doesn't work. Let me step in as judge. Let me speak on your behalf when you didn't ask me to. Let me get the focus on me. And instead of having the staff lead people to the Lord, it drove them away drove them away from the focus on him to the focus on Moses. Can I just tell you that, that the tongue has the ability to gather people to experience the glory and the wonder and the presence and the power of God, but it also has the, op, op, the, say, the opposite effect where it has the ability to gather people and drive them away from God. And see, Moses was missing a critical conversation. It wasn't just that he rebelled and spoke to the people. Is that it was that he struck the rock and he missed the critical conversation of speaking to the rock. Let me explain to you what I mean by that. First Corinthians chapter 10, verse 1 and 4. For I do not want you to be ignorant of the fact, brothers and sisters, that our ancestors were under the cloud and that they all passed through the sea. They were all baptized into Moses, into the cloud and into the sea. They ate the same spiritual food and drank the same spiritual drink. For they drank from the spiritual rock that accompanied them and that rock was Christ. See, some, sometimes, listen, sometimes God could have easily said, just like he told Moses in Exodus 17, he said, Moses, strike the rock this time. Moses struck the rock and water came out. He could have easily said, speak to the people, Moses. Tell them, because Moses has done that before in the past too. Got the Ten Commandments, came down, spoke on behalf of the Lord. 
But, but sometimes what's going to break can only break in the spirit. Sometimes God has to speak to people. God has to reveal it to them. And it's best that we just intercede. There's a time to speak and there's a time to be silent. And sometimes God is going to have to say, listen, just, just speak to the rock. Come speak to me and let me deal with the people. There's going to be moments, but you've got to be listening because this was the key. Moses just wasn't listening to the Lord. I mean, there's going to be times where God's going to say, I just want you to pray. But then there are other times where God says, I made it very clear. I want you to Matthew 18 it. I want you to go and I want you to talk. And when we don't listen to the God, we put ourselves as judge. We put ourselves in the spot of the deliverer and we remain stuck. Because in Exodus 17, when, when he told Moses to strike the rock and we're looking at this reality that the rock was Christ. This beautiful imagery is that, listen, I, I want us to take this home away, is that God said, my son will only be struck once. And after that strike, you can speak to him. You can talk to him. As we sung today, the veil has been torn as a result of the cross, as a result of his life, his death, and the resurrection. The veil has been torn, and we can enter, and we can speak to the rock of the ages. We can speak to God Almighty and experience the living water that flows even in such a dry time and a parched moment of life like we're facing in our world today. So see, the critical conversation you might be missing out on is actually speaking to the Lord. You may need to have a critical conversation with him. Maybe, maybe you've been striking the rock. Maybe you've been striking at the Lord over and over and over just mad at you? How could you let this happen? Why is this going down? Can I just tell you, even in your striking, water will still flow. There's grace. God is still pursuing you despite the rebellion. This is the grace of God. But Moses was missing the critical conversation. Speaking to the rock. Sometimes you have to speak to God on behalf of people before you can speak to people on behalf of God. And so let me just encourage you today with this. Bridle your tongue. Let the Lord be the captain of this little rudder. It's powerful. We're going to talk more about it in the coming weeks. But I, I wanted to settle this because I think there's been so much division and chaos amongst friends and family neighbors and it's always our move it's always our move let me pray for you father in jesus name lord i thank you for each and every one that's tuning in online those who are tuning in here maybe maybe this is the moment that that you just need to come to the lord and you need to lay it all down you might be in a desert right now and you're just a conversation away from the Lord refreshing you, reviving you. Maybe there's a relationship right now that you know, even as I'm talking, God already brought it to your mind. Can I just make it very clear? Relationships that are broken, it doesn't mean that we don't have boundaries in relationships. There may be some people you can't go back and talk to because there's a boundary, a safety boundary, there's something there. That, that's fine. But you can still speak to the Lord in regards to that and let him heal your heart. 
But then there's other people that, man, you see them every day and you know you should have a conversation with them. And God is going to urge you to do that over the coming days. Some of you, you're trapped in sin and you've yet to open up to somebody. You're, you, you need a Nathan. And can I just encourage you, man, it was so gracious that God brought Nathan. But can I encourage you to get on the front end of it? Find a Nathan and tell him. Tell somebody that you're struggling. Tell somebody that you're, you're wrestling, that you're stuck. I promise you, there's people in this church that would love to come alongside of you and help you, encourage you. Grace-based accountability. We're not trying to impose in your life. We're just saying, man, we love you. We want to tell you the truth. And we want to see God's best in your life. But, but, but above all things is you need a relationship with God. And if that's not intact, all these other things, they're just really not going to make much sense. And so if you're online or you're listening to my voice today and you say, man, I just need to surrender my life to the Lord today. I want you to do so. I want you to pray this prayer with me. It's, it's just a commitment prayer. There's nothing magical about it. It's less about the prayer. It's more about your heart. But I'm hoping to, to lead you in a prayer that would communicate what's happening in your heart right now. As we speak to the rock, the one who is stable, secure, unshakable, unmoving, the first, the last, the beginning, and the end, the alpha, the omega. If that's you, would you pray? Come on, church, can we pray? Even if you're online, pray, pray this prayer. This is how God has moved you. We're going to all pray collectively together to say, Lord Jesus, today I surrender. I confess you as my Lord, my Savior. Forgive me for my sin. Wash me clean. I believe you died on the cross and rose from the dead for my freedom. It is for freedom that you set me free. I confess you as my Lord. Put people in my life that I can be honest with, that'll tell me the truth. Help me to know when to speak and when to be silent. I want to follow you all my days. Fill me with your spirit. Give me a hunger for your word. Teach me your ways. In Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen, amen. Come on, can we give the Lord a big hand? Thanks again for joining us here at Fountain Church. For more details on how to get connected, visit us at fountainchurch.cc. We're also on YouTube, Facebook, and Instagram. We'll see you next time.